Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church and School right here in the heart of Chicago. I pray that you find hope and peace in the message of Christ and Him crucified for you in your life right now. Thank you for listening. And please, if you'd like to support the mission going on right here, uh, please go to our webpage, stjames-lutheran.org to donate. Thank you. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Heavenly Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. All throughout this uh, season, after Epiphany, we've been trying to answer the question of what it means to be a disciple, right? What it means to walk in the light from day to day, to live in the light from day to day. And I think it's a question that, like, burdens for many of us, right? It's at the forefront of our minds. What does it mean to be a disciple? How do I concretely put that into practice? And I think this is such a popular question for Christians that you can find whole fields of study and information on it, right? I was amazed by the fact that you can find a category on Amazon's uh, bestseller list uh, for Christian discipleship, right? There's volumes that are written on this uh, topic in particular, right? We all want to know what it means to actually be a disciple from day to day. And given that we're still in January, I think some of us are kind of still thinking about our New Year's resolutions, right? Maybe wondering how well we've pursued those, right? Maybe we've made some spiritual resolutions for the new year and we're wondering maybe if we're on track and maybe we're looking to get back on track with uh, that sort of idea, right? That we want to be looking for ways to bear down and work at those goals as we kind of make our discipleship journey. And as we think about that concept, right, kind of spiritual resolutions, think about how we often uh, always look for more things to do in order to develop our spirituality, right? So we talked about the idea that, of course, there's the easy things, right? There's the easy things like showing up to church, hearing the word, right, receiving the sacraments. But I think we always want to kind of take things a step further, right? We want to know yeah, that stuff is fine, but is that really what constitutes discipleship? Is that really what all there is, or is there something that we can work towards in addition? And in today's gospel text, I think this kind of answers our question, right? Because Jesus is walking around calling his disciple, and he's forming that inner circle that's going to be uh, the, the early teachers of the church, right? The early missionaries and uh, kind of the people that he'll send out to spread the good news, right? He's calling the 12 here. And I think there's a lot of stuff that's familiar in this text, but there's also some stuff that maybe we're not so familiar with, right? The familiar stuff is easy, right? We, we love this picture of Jesus where he's, you know, by the seaside calling people and they're dropping their nets and following Jesus to hear the good news, to be a part of this ministry. And yet there's stuff that we often miss, right? There's stuff that we kind of glance over, right? And it's the fact that essential to the Christian church is the community of saints, right? Jesus begins his ministry and instantly a community is formed, right? That's, you know, essential to the Christian journey. We can't be alone in our journey of faith. Instead, we're always called to rely upon one another, to share in that experience as God's people. Consider how the Trinity even really is a community, right? Three persons, one God, and yet it's a communion and a union founded upon the love of God, the love of God which of course then spills out into the world through Christ Jesus, which then exits the church as we do mission work and we love our neighbor and we serve our neighbor, that sort of thing. So when we're thinking about that, how does that communion and community idea factor into our understanding of how we become?
become disciples, right? And then kind of think about the question, is there something that we can do at all in becoming a disciple? And I think the reason why this question is so important is because as Americans, right, we love things to do, right? We love the idea of being a self-made person, right? Getting to work, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, putting our Protestant work ethic into high gear when it comes to our spirituality and our, our Christian practice. And then we should ask ourselves, how does Jesus respond to that impulse that we might have? So listen to what Jesus says. He tells Simon and Andrew, come after me and I will make you fishers of men. The emphasis being, I will make you fishers of men. And I think that statement is so illustrative of who God is, right? Because he's the one who does the choosing, right? He's the one who picks us, right? Not the other way around. We don't right, decide on God, right? Instead, Jesus simply calls, and we hear, we listen, and then we follow afterwards. So in other words, he's kind of placing us on the path of discipleship, right? There's no choice, no textbook, no manual for discipleship. It's an invitation. Simply come and see, follow after, see what life is like within the church, and thereby you're going to be formed into a disciple. Follow after me, look what I'm doing, see, receive what I'm about to offer. Notice how Jesus then follows up on this statement when he says, I'll make you fishers of men. He kind of emphasizes that idea by continually simply calling others, inviting them, and then they follow after. And I think this kind of pulls the rug out from underneath us, right? Because we assume, like, there must have been some conversation, right? Jesus had to have sold these disciples on this idea somehow. But no, that's not the case, right? Jesus is making disciples, crafting them, showing us what it means to be church. He's the one doing the forgiving. He's doing the loving, doing the reconciling that kind of form the backbone of what it means to be a Christian. Think about how that's true today, right? We, of course, love. We, of course, forgive. We reconcile with one another, right? We pass the love of God along, but it's still Christ in action through us. Again, I will make you fishers of men. And I think if we're honest about this idea, it's, it's kind of like sandpaper, right? It rubs us the wrong way. We want something not only to do, but we want to know concretely, hey, what am I supposed to be kind of putting into action exactly as a disciple, right? And I think the idea that we want to be self-made factors into this, right? We don't want to be made into anything. We want to make ourselves into what we're going to be. And now Jesus tells us the exact opposite. But think about how this reflects kind of the essentials of the Christian faith, right? St. Augustine identified God as the divine giver, right? That this is kind of who God is, right? He simply gives us creation. And yes, we receive it, but it's given freely as a gift, right? He breathes creation out, and that's a gift. He redeems us from our sin through the work of Christ Jesus, and it's simply a gift, right? Freely given. He gives us eternal life, raises us up from death to life, and it's a free gift, right? Again, simply given. So God is continually making and remaking us into saints of God, into his children, into who he wants us to be. And we're kind of just along for the ride, right? Now, think about how this pairs then with our Old Testament reading. Because in our Old Testament reading, we revisit Isaiah. And Isaiah has some words for us. He says that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. 
And it's interesting that we revisit this so quickly after Christmas, because typically we're used to hearing these words from Isaiah around Christmas, right? Because we think of the light that streams forth from the manger being that thing that shines in the darkness. But I think it's also interesting to consider the historical reference, right? To kind of think about who these speaking to, right? And Isaiah is speaking to God's people after this time, or rather during this time, of great oppression and great captivity, right? The, the northern kingdom has fallen, and the Assyrians have led God's people into exile, right? Have carried off God's people into exile. And it's a moment of disaster historically, right? Really a cultural touchstone that you point back and you knew where you were when something like this happened, that kind of idea. So place yourself in their shoes for a second, right? Imagine being a member of this community. Possibly you saw friends, loved ones carried off into exile, right? You're experiencing the yoke of captivity, the bonds of slavery. And now hear this message that Isaiah has for you. You, the ones in great darkness, upon you a light has now shone. We ask ourselves, how can this possibly be true, right? That doesn't make much sense. But ultimately, whenever we revisit the Old Testament, it's to see the fact that God is faithful to his promises because it's out of this region that Christ Jesus will, of course, arrive, right? He'll redeem them from their captivity, from their slavery. He'll ransom captive Israel and win them back to God himself. He'll turn them from sin rescue them from bondage, break their chains, and once again make them his own people. So the whole story then kind of underscores the nature of discipleship. It's not something we can do, right? We are simply bound, right? We're captive. We can't get ourselves out of this. There's no prison break that we're going to sort of orchestrate, right, and get ourselves out of the predicament we're in. Instead, we need to rely on a savior, right? A messiah, this one who enters into the picture, who picks us up, who carries us out of slavery and sets us free through the power of the gospel. That's the life of discipleship, continually being carried by Christ Jesus out of darkness and into light. And think about how it's true for us today, right? We're able, not able to make ourselves disciples. Instead, we're, we realize that I think over time we're pretty bad at it, right? We ultimately, uh, you know, fail in even our most sacred relationships, right? We let each other down. Sin breaks down our relationships with each other. We hurt people that we're supposed to forgive, right? We don't care for others the right way. So ultimately, it's God who, through the blood of Christ Jesus, is mending those relationships, is repairing us, is making us whole, making us new even now. And think about how this is true in our gospel text, right? Out of this message of reconciliation and this call of discipleship, Jesus then sets about making things right. It says that he goes around healing people, right? Casting out demons, healing paralytics and epileptics, right? Making people whole. So in the person of Christ Jesus, yes, he's called us to be a disciple, but now he sets about undoing the effects of sin, right? Making things perfect, making things new once again through his voice, his call, his presence, and his ministry. So thinking back to that idea, right, that central idea that light has shone out of the darkness, think about how this is true, not just again of the biblical characters, but it's true of us today, right? God loves to bring light out of those dark places that we inhabit. And what do I mean by this? Well, we're fast approaching Lent, and you'll notice this seem 
theme central to what we do within Lent, right? In just a few weeks, what you'll see is that the bright colors that adorn the sanctuary, colors like green and white from Epiphany and from our common time, will be replaced by purple and black. Our music will shift into minor keys, right? All underscoring the theme of darkness, even outside, right? It's fitting that it happens during winter because our days are shorter and darker in that point. So why do we do this? Why do we set this, this scene? Because ultimately we're rapidly approaching the cross and the cross is that central moment of darkness, right? It's that point when Christ Jesus, our savior, dies, right? And we would say, even going a step further, God dies and it's not a noble death, right? Instead, it's a shameful one. He's hung upon a cross. He's put to death with two criminals for a crime that he did not commit. And the Bible tells us that, in fact, this moment is so dark that the earth itself is darkened for a moment. So talk about dark, right? And yet, out of that darkness springs forth new light, springs forth salvational light. The cross now becomes, instead of a gateway of darkness, becomes a gateway of light, right? Wherein life and salvation are one for all people. And that gives way then to the joy of Easter morning. Again, from darkness to light. One hymn that I read puts it in this nice way, or I think dramatic way, but I think it's cool. He says, Oh sorrow dread, our God is dead. He paid our great redemption. Jesus' death upon the cross, there's the hinge point, gained for us salvation. Darkness giving forth to newborn light. So ask yourself then, how is God bringing light out of your own places of darkness? Maybe past tense, how has God brought light out of those places of darkness? And I think we all have a moment, perhaps moments, that we can relate to this idea, right? We can think of a moment when we were stuck in darkness and somebody shared an encouraging word of hope with us. We can think about a time when we were kind of lost, right? trapped in that spiritual darkness, and somebody pointed us to the concrete ways that Christ Jesus saves us on the cross and continues to minister to us by drawing near to us presently through word and sacrament, that sort of idea. Maybe somebody simply just sat with you, right? Showed compassion by lending an ear and simply being that presence as we walk together in the darkness, and that helped to bring forth light in that moment. Whatever it is, we can say that the church, being a disciple, is demonstrated by this embodied sense of being, right? Helping to be Christ at work in the world by simply bearing with one another in love and mercy. And that's what shows us kind of what it means to be church, right? What it centrally means to be a disciple. So while, again, those moments look different for each one of us, and again, they should look different for all of us, the message is clear, right? This message is very simple, that the church is simply the gathering of believers who have heard Jesus's call Come and be a disciple. I will make you fishers of men. Come follow me. See what life is like within the church. And by following Jesus, by listening to his words, that's in fact how we will be made into a disciple. So ultimately, we've got those words. We've been made disciples. So the central reality for us of being church is now what we do going forward, right? Which is calling people out of darkness and into the light of Christ Jesus, into the hope that we have in him. So my encouragement then is simply be church, right? Come and see, be part of what goes on in the church, right? Hear the word, receive the sacraments, 
bear with one another in love and invite others to simply be a part of what Jesus is doing as we come follow after him and in so doing, we receive this message of mercy and we are made into disciples, made into fishers of men. So go be a light to other people, right? Go shine light in the darkness for others. Point them to Christ Jesus, crucified and risen for the forgiveness of sins. And that's ultimately what it means to be a disciple. To hear, to receive, call others to that same light that shines in the darkness. Amen. And now may the peace that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.